Oh, what a beautiful note. Oh, she hit it perfectly. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. That is that is the familiar intro to the Free the Hounds podcast. Talking couch potatoes. Uh, yet again, I have in the studio with me, I don't have Mel, and I miss you, Mel, uh, but she's taking a little break. Uh, and when I say break, I believe at the moment she's knitting uh, jumpers for greyhounds in Zimbabwe. Um, <laughs> uh, jumpers for the winter, because it's a cold winter in Zimbabwe. That's yeah. a holiday away yeah. from uh, Free the Hounds. I've got Jem in the room with us, and we've also got a special guest. Alan Dolphin is with us. Hi, Alan. Hi, Matt. Hi, Gemma. Hi, Good Alan. to be back. Uh, so, we're yeah, we're going to finish off last episode's interview with Andrew Knight, veterinary professor of animal welfare. Uh, but we also have some business to attend to, don't we, for this episode. And uh, is there any listener feedback? Have they had time to feed back to us at podcast at freethehounds.com.au? We haven't had much, I'm afraid. So please let us know how we're doing, what you'd like to hear. Uh, yeah, if you want anything to be read out on the podcast. I, I got one from a listener saying, please can we get Mel back on so Gemma doesn't talk as much, which I thought was a little... You Rude. Know, what was his name, Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, shout outs. What have we got? We have a couple of dog treats. One is Little Crunchkins, which is at littlecrunchkins.com. And this is Connie. She makes natural plant-based dog treats. They've got lots of flavours and she's just brought out some new Christmas flavours. So she actually donates part proceeds to animal charities, which is great. And you can order them through her website. www.littlecrunchkins.com <laughs> Thanks, Matthew. We also have Albie's Delicious Delights, and that's Albie spelt A-L-B-I, and these are wonderful cakes, pup cakes, and little biscuits baked by Beth. So yeah, there's Albie's Delicious Delights by Beth, and Little Crunchkins by Connie, and they are some plant-based doggy treats. Which is very relevant to the upcoming part two of our conversation with Andrew Knight, actually. Healthy things you can give to your doggies. We're going to move on to our next regular segment now. And thank you again to Alan for stepping in on this one. It is, as I've mentioned time and again, it's the saddest part of the podcast. Alan, what have we got for this uh, episode? Yep, just to bring this up to date. So these statistics of the two weeks up to the 16th of November out of 73 injuries thankfully there was no deaths but there was one 90 day stand down at Manjur Tracks. Within a week of that track being reopened after six million dollars being spent to upgrade it to make it safe, the following day a second dog fractured its hock at Manjur Track. so it's six million dollars not well spent um, on the other side, your trainer subsidies, 99000 stake money, 692000 breeding bonuses, $51,800, for a total of $843,448. So one, once again, the human participants, their welfare is well looked after. So we had the Mandra track that's been shut down, I think, since March this year? Yep. And there's been six million that has come from gambling money that has gone back into the industry. Yet we've had two fractured hocks within a week. 
of it reopening. Statistics already show that there's at least one major injury every week in Western Australia. Is that correct? Yep. So the broken legs we're talking about. Yep. Yep. So uh, if you're listening, maybe you own a greyhound and you're appalled, maybe you don't and you're curious, maybe you have uh, another kind of companion animal. How would you go putting your dog into a race knowing that it might break its leg? I know Andrew had some wonderful research on how to minimise the harm, but we'll never eradicate the harm. There is no safe way to do this sport. And what that means is that gentle creatures will end up with broken legs or dead so that Aussies can have a punt. Let's wake up, folks. So, uh, yeah, we've got the second part of our interview with Andrew Knight, who is a veterinary professor of animal welfare and quite a clever bloke, actually. He's going to talk about the possibilities of vegan diets, not only for humans, but for animals. I was quite sceptical about this when, Jem, you suggested putting bunny and bow on a vegan diet. That's true. Mainly talking about the environmental sustainability That's his main research at the moment. But he's got lots of stuff on his website for everybody to have a read through. www.andrewknight.info So the next thing I really wanted to do a deep dive into, which I know is a huge part of your work, Andrew, and it's something that created a bit of an awakening in me personally, which is uh, a study, Relative Benefits, for environmental sustainability of a vegan diet for dogs, cats and people. Can you give us a little bit of a a background on that and what you found? Yeah, sure. So we've known that the uh, global food system is a major cause of greenhouse gas emissions and a major land user. For example, we know that the um, agricultural sector occupies two-thirds of the Earth's ice-free land surface, so not the polar regions, of that 80% is actually consumed by the livestock sector. So grazing livestock animals or growing feed crops to feed them or housing them in giant sheds and so on. So it's an enormous amount of land. And by the way, that 80% produces some 18% of all the calories that we consume and 37% of the protein. So it's a very inefficient way of producing calories and protein. So there's enormous amounts of land that is also freshwater. Greenhouse gases, we know that the food system produces about one-third of all the human-generated greenhouse gases. Well, a third is uh, the food system. About 20% actually is the livestock, according to a recent study by Zoo and College in, in Nature Food Journal, which one of those top scientific journals. Since then, there have been other studies. You know, I think a more accurate figure is probably in a region about 27%. To give that some perspective, all transportation combined, so all the planes, trucks, buses, and everything else in the world, has been estimated to produce 13.5%. So compared to what I just said about you know, 27% coming from the livestock sector. So there are really big environmental impacts. We know also that uh, the livestock sector results in the killing of around about 80 billion land animals per year. And we also kill about one to three trillion fish and marine animals uh, each year as well in the global food system. But what nobody had done really was worked out what would happen if we switched the world's dogs, cats and people to nutritionally sound vegan diets. This follows uh, 10 studies in the last three years in dogs and three studies in cats showing that 
providing the diets a supplement with all the necessary nutrients, then health outcomes for dogs and cats on vegan diets are as good and sometimes better than when fed meat. Uh, there's also been a huge behavioral study showing that on average, the animals are just as happy to eat uh, these diets as they are meat-based diets. And as a result, there's been an explosion of uh, new vegan pet foods being produced globally. So we know it's possible. We know it's good for the dogs and cats consuming this, but nobody had worked out what would the environmental benefits be. So what I did in this latest study was I went through a massive report from the US giving the ingredients and tonnages and sources uh, used in pet food in the US. This was the first time a really big report like this had provided so much data. So it wasn't possible to do a study like this until very recently. So I went through all of that. I worked out what, what would the savings be for well, dogs and cats went on to nutritionally sound vegan diets. And while I was at it, I did humans as well so that we could compare. And I found some super exciting findings actually. Uh, I am I am so keen to hear the findings as I've been listening to you because this is new to me. But our producer's given us a run sheet of well, a uh, it's called an infographic. An infographic, I'm told. I've been trying to listen to you, but look at the graphic as well because it's quite astounding. We're going to link this infographic to the podcast, by the way. And sorry to interrupt, Andrew, but uh, Gemma had told me if you're an environmental activist, one of the biggest things you can do is go vegan. Um, so this is astounding to me. Great. Um, and you know, there's four studies available for free on the internet and they can all be found on my website under recent publications. If you go to a study, click on comments, you'll get direct links through to the summary video and also the infographic. But the infographic basically summarizes a very complex study down into the key results very simply. It shows that globally humans are responsible for about 91% of all livestock consumption and Dogs and cats are responsible for about 9%. Most of that's dogs, about nearly 8%. The cats are just over 1%. In a wealthy nation, by the way, such as Australia, pet ownership is much higher than the global average and it changes. So when you're looking around about 80% of livestock consumption by people and about 20% by dogs and cats. Um, these numbers are actually really conservative, but in a nation like Australia that's wealthy, you're probably looking at 20%. If all the world's dogs, cats, and people went on to nutritionally sound vegan diets, there'd be vast savings in greenhouse gases. If all the dogs were transitioned on vegan diets, you'd uh, spare more greenhouse gases than emitted by the entire United Kingdom. Mm. There'd be vast amounts of land saving. If all the world's people went vegan, you would free up more land than the whole of Russia, which is the world's largest country, combined with India. There'd be huge savings of fresh water. And you could also feed vast amounts of or numbers of additional people with the food energy saved because when we feed crops to livestock animals, most of that, that energy and the protein is actually used to support the bodily processes of livestock animals. So that's maintenance, some growth, and essentially wasted. Very little of it ends up as usable muscles, i.e. meat, milk, or eggs. So if you do away with that, you eliminate that wastage and simply consume the plant products yourself, you save enormous amounts of food energy and potentially feed more people. Before the cats became vegan, you could feed another 69 million people, which is more than the entire human population of the United Kingdom. The true benefits are probably substantially higher, but even in my study, it's clear that there are very major environmental benefits associated with nutrition sound vegan diets We've always considered that, you know, diet change and change of our consumption patterns in general is necessary to address challenges of climate change and biodiversity loss and environmental degradation. But we've never, we've almost never thought that 
the diets of our companion animals might be part of that picture, might be part of the necessary change. Uh, and what this study uh, shows is that actually they are a major uh, part of this picture. Uh, so cats and dogs are important, and especially dogs, and most of all, large breed dogs, because they, they consume the most meat. So it is really important that we consider nutritionally sound vegan diets for our, our dogs and cats for environmental reasons, but also because sometimes there can be health benefits for those animals as well. Uh, one of my key recommendations is always to try to feed a diet that is nutritionally sound. So uh, there are many studies that show that homemade diets, even following recipes and adding supplements, uh, often are not sound. Uh, it's important to be trying to uh, get a diet from a reputable uh, manufacturer. Uh, I've got a website which is sustainablepetfood.info and there's a list of suppliers on it, which is the starting point. I don't make, make any money from that. It's just an informational service. So get a diet from a reputable manufacturer that says on the packaging it's nutritionally uh, complete for dogs or even cats, whatever you're feeding. Uh, and the company should be able to provide some kind of reassuring information about steps taken to ensure nutritional soundness whether it's working with nutritional experts to formulate it or, or whether it's manufacturing it to meet nutritional guidelines of international authorities, there should be something. So if you do those steps, you can expect health outcomes as good or perhaps even better than animals that are fed meat-based diets. So it's important that people don't simply try to make their own diets at home. That's extraordinary. It really is. And it, as I said earlier, it's quite personal for me because, um, I mean, Jem wanted to turn our dogs vegan, turn our dogs vegan. Even the, even, even the language sounds a little bit pejorative. And I resisted quite strongly. I had this, I guess, outdated or ill-informed view that animals are a natural carnivores. So I think there's sort of an element of society that holds on so tightly to the idea that we must consume animals, that, you know, when you're looking for some kind of truth, you'll find it in whatever way you can, Andrew. Confirmation it, bias. Right. And as someone who came from the other side of the fence, as a prior committed carnivore, who's in a transition phase, I'll admit, but willing to sort of look at the evidence, and as someone who, you know, went to the dogs, I used to love the races when I was a young, young man, I just, I would love people to sort of listen to this, look at the facts, and then if you want to continue doing whatever you're doing, at least you're doing it in an informed way. Yeah, there's overwhelming amounts of evidence out there pointing to the benefits of nutritionally sound vegan diets for people. And now we've got uh, actually 10 studies uh, showing the same kind of thing for dogs. So part of it is getting information to people. But I think there's more to this than just educating people and just providing information. We all like to think that we're rational actors and that if we receive information, we'll make logical decisions. But it seems that the, the power of culture is actually even stronger and you only need to look at things like cigarette smoking, for example. There is no reasonable doubt that that is harmful to health. And yes, providing information is not enough for a, se a segment of the population will so other factors are clearly stronger and what are they? They're basically cultural factors. So mm. I think when we start off as animal welfare advocates, we often naively assume that simply doing a new study and finding some important bit of information or communicating information effectively will be sufficient in changing the world. But actually there's more to it than that. People after having emotionally decided upon a position, we then 
try to invent logic to justify it, to, to convince ourselves that we are reasonable, logical beings, whereas actually we're not. So we also, we also need to, I think, address cultural factors to try and achieve the changes that we would like to see. How do we do that effectively, Andrew? Like I okay, struggle. Well, this is called human behavioral change. This is a field of study. I would recommend read our chapter on this. We recently published an entire textbook on animal Australian law, which is available for free on the internet. It's called the Routledge Handbook of Animal Welfare, and it's a collaboration by 50 authors, many of whom are well leading in the fields, covering 36 chapters, including almost every animal welfare issue, uh, as well as animal law in major world regions, animal ethics, education, communication, and human behavioral change. So we do actually have a chapter on this in the, the book. I would encourage everyone to read it. And if you're looking for the textbook, you can find it again on my website, along with all my other publications, and that's andrewknight.info. You can see books there. I've got a couple. This is one of them. And there are, you follow the links through to the free online version. You can download the entire book or individual chapters. Uh, it was published at the start of this year, so it's super up to date. Uh, and it's already been downloaded well over a hundred thousand times. It's probably the most, um, successful animal welfare text globally. And it was uh, provided to help animal advocates, uh, get specialized knowledge about a whole range of issues to increase the effectiveness and professionalism and knowledge of the animal advocacy movement globally. That's wonderful. I have actually downloaded a couple of chapters myself already. And thank you so much to you and all the other authors. Um, that Routledge handbook of animal welfare looks like it could be <laughs> the Bible so for it's, animal it's been, welfare activists. Called, yeah, it's been called the Bible of the animal advocacy movement. It has, it has been called that. And you can find that on www.andrewknight.info. So if you're interested in animal welfare, animal advocacy, the potential of vegan diets for humans and animals, there's hours and hours of incredible information. Can I say that if you don't have hours and hours, fortunately, there is a short summary video for most topics. Um, if you click on the videos link at the top, uh, you go to my YouTube channel and I aim to provide five minutes or less uh, summarizing uh, pretty much everything that I've done for the last few years uh, in terms of uh, new, new research publications about uh, animal welfare issues and so on. Andrew, this has been extraordinary. Thank you so much. I don't think we've had a guest on that has the depth of knowledge that you do combined with the ethical and social sort of uh, advocacy stance that you take. Pleasure. And uh, thank you for all your interest in my work. And I'm sorry that you had to spend a couple of hours looking at my website. <laughs> <laughs> I think the one thing I did have was being open to opposing viewpoints. I always thought as a kid, if someone uh, proves me wrong, that's not like a bad thing. That's almost like a gift. They've, they've given wow. us, you know, some new information that means I can... You need to be in charge of everything. Very few people have this kind of wisdom. You're in charge of everything. <laughs> Are we still recording this? Andrew Knight said I should be. <laughs> so now I really appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. What did you think of that, guys? How, how clever is that bloke? Uh, so thanks for tuning in. For those of you who love this podcast, please share it with your friends and your family. We don't want to preach to the choir. We want to expand our purpose and reach out to people. So please listen, rate, share, 
can give your feedback at podcast at freethehounds.com.au because together we can release the hounds. <laughs>